everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. My name is Jesse Jones, and on the show today, we've got Randy Prossi. That's right, the president and COO of the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. He is coming on the show to talk to us about the upcoming festival. It's like less than two weeks away. It's like almost here. I'm going to be there. It's next weekend. I, I go, uh, I'm on the road this weekend, and it's my birthday on top of it. Hooray for me. Guess what I'm going to do? Uh, here's a hint. Drink whiskey. Tell some jokes. It's going to be a good weekend. And then next weekend, what do I do? I'm going to go on down to uh, Kentucky. I'm, I'm in Kentucky a lot in September, and we're going to start it off right next weekend with the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. So come on by. Give me a, If you see me, say hello. I'm going to be out and about probably with a drink in my hand, so shake the other one and let's have some fun. And it's uh, it, this is a good conversation. We talk about the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. I mean, it kicks off next Thursday, September 15th. Going to be a little sneak peek on Wednesday the 14th. Then it's going to roll all the way through Sunday the 18th. Randy walks us through what all the festival is going to have this year, all the whiskey, all the events. I mean, they're going above and beyond. They're doing food pairings. They're doing cocktail classes. There's going to be master distillers of all your favorite brands. I mean, you could run into Chris Morris. You could run into Brent Elliott. There's going to be just people all over the place, and they're all going to have the whiskey you like. He's going to talk about how this year, the 2022 Kentucky Bourbon Festival, is the largest and the best that he's been a part of so far. We talk about how he got involved in whiskey, his journey to this festival as well as like what the state of whiskey is today and how right now may be the best time to be a whiskey drinker it's a super fun conversation and i think everyone listening is really going to enjoy it and you know what else you're really going to enjoy our sponsors you like that you like that seamless transition there our sponsors for this week's episode at engrave.com that's e-n-g-r-v-d.com customized experiences and gifts from personalized one-of-a-kind gifts to unique, customized corporate promotional items, Engraved has what you need. I met the guys from Engraved when I was needing some new Glen Cairn glasses with the Bourbon Showdown logo on them. And wow, if they didn't just create for me some of the best Glens I've ever had. And guess what? Just for being a listener of the Bourbon Showdown, they are going to give you 10% off your next order. What was that? 10% off your next order. Anything you want, 10% off. Can't say it enough. Just use the promo code Jesse Jones or Bourbon Showdown at checkout and get 10% off your order. It's that easy. And you know what else? It's free shipping all day, every day. So you go to engrave.com for all your custom engraving needs. You'll be happy that you did. All right. And now, without further Adieu. Let's go ahead and get this show on the road. I know it's been a minute or two since we've all talked to one another, and I appreciate you guys coming back for some more show. I've been uh, on the road this summer. I know you guys haven't heard from me in a minute or two other than the regular feeds, the regular social channels, so I appreciate you guys coming on back. Uh, you may have seen me on the road this summer. I've been all over the uh, country touring with comedy, but now we're back with more Bourbon Showdown, so we're going to get this show on the road right now. It's Randy Pry- 
Rossi. It's the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. It's a new season of the Bourbon Showdown. We've got so many fun damn things coming up. We have Michters. We have Bookers. We have more Woodford. We've got a little bit of Aiden English from WWE uh, wrestling with whiskey. We've got a lot of fun things coming down the road. So keep coming back. And we are going to get started right now. My name is Jesse Jones. It's the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. Let's start the show. Today we are here with Randy Prossy, the president and COO of the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. Welcome, Randy. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Boy, that sounds really impressive when I hear someone else say it. Yeah, title. you put it all together. That's a lot. <laughs> I'm just I'm just Bourbon Randy. El Presidente. <laughs> Bourbon Randy sounds pretty good, too. Yeah, I'll take that. So welcome to the show. Tell me uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, what you got going on. Well, I mean, obviously, this is my third year with the Bourbon Festival. Uh, the first year was the pandemic year, which was a major curveball, but we pulled off a pretty cool virtual event that we put all of our video on on YouTube. And that actually built a lot of audience, a lot of new eyes that had never heard of us or if they'd heard of us, they didn't really get a sense for what we were trying to do. So uh, if there's a silver lining at all in the pandemic year of 2020, it was the fact that we got a lot of new, a lot of new people interested in what we're doing. Uh, you guys did a really good job in 2020. I, I mean, the way you incorporated social media and video and it was so organized like every day you guys had something going on that that felt not thrown together like everything felt very well thought through and very inclusive Thank uh, you. Yeah. you guys got somebody richard richard from top chef i just remember that the the thing he did with you guys i i just remember thinking that was so well done well, and, and thank you. And, you know, I mean, we, we know how to produce a live festival. It's very complex. Um, but when we made the decision to first, we delayed it a month, hoping we'd get into October instead of September, we'd be in a little better area. And that didn't happen, obviously. So we had the entire educational tracked set up so steve coombs who does all of our educational programming had already communicated with all the master distillers and brand ambassadors and the chefs and they're already committed we, so we said how do we do this and still maintain the quality that we've committed to um there's a lot of content out there but there's a lot of bad content on the internet right, right. So if, if we didn't feel we could do it uh, high, high quality, we weren't going to do it. So the, the cool thing was, and, and seeing the faces and over and over again, Denny Potter from Makers Mark walked in, you know, Brent Elliott from Four Roses walked in, Pat and Shane from Wilderness Trail, you know, I'm name dropping a bit, but these, these guys were grounded. There was no other events, no meetings, no, no bottle signings anywhere because of COVID. So they were grounded. So they were available and they came walking in. And I really do believe they expected to see, you know, Randy with his camera phone, you know, doing a podcast. Right. And, and when he walked, when they walked in and saw three cameras, boom mics, we mic'd everybody up. We had studio lighting, you know, it was a, a, a clean set. We literally used Bardstown Bourbon Company's uh, Rick House for most of our sessions, a couple in the restaurant and the kitchen. Um, but they walked in thinking it was going to be a typical schlocky kind of a deal with a bunch of fanboys. And they walked <laughs> out and the word got, you know, the word got back to the marketing and the executive team that we were 
that we treated them well and it was very well done. And, you know, we had post-production and, and when we aired all the different segments, we had a lot of people playing along at home, which, you know, it was, it was new for everybody. I mean, we literally in a course of five weeks reinvented our business model for that year from a live festival with tastings to virtual and how do we encourage people to engage with us sitting at home, you know? And uh, so thank you. I mean, but again, that set the stage because that was supposed to be, 2020 was supposed to be the first year that the distilleries were going to be able to be on, on the, the festival grounds and do direct neat pour sampling. Right, the laws right. changed. And so what we did last year and then 2020 kind of teed that up, the word got out that, that we did good quality things and that we were committed to changing the way the festival um, was going to be offered out to the public. And um, so they signed up. You know, and we went from 11 distilleries participating in the festival in 2019 to 34 of them in 2020, one, excuse me. And then this year we're at 50. Wow. Um, and over half of them are the craft distilleries that we never included previously. Right. Maybe bad on us. Maybe it just wasn't the right time for everybody but yeah so 50 distilleries every all the majors are in all the mid-level guys that are up and coming and you know eating up market share quickly are in um i think there's 75 active distilleries in kentucky and we've got 50 of them so two-thirds of them are going to be on the lawn for that weekend in september 16th to the 18th sampling uh, I'm estimating probably 150 different whiskeys when you figure the crafts are going to bring two each and the, the beams and makers and heaven hills of the world are going to be able to bring up to six different whiskeys to, to sample. So it, uh, it's going to be a, it'll be a cool time, but I don't know that we could have done it the way we're doing it now. Had we not kind of experimented a little bit coming out of 2020 into 2021 and, and push the envelope a little bit, um, well, and you've had a good one, two, three punch, like the 2020 set up a brand new audience base. Then right. 2021, you had the 30th anniversary and that was a lot of fun. And like right. you said, uh, you expanded to such a, the, the list of people you had last year was huge. And the way yeah. this boom is going, everybody's looking for not only the big boys, but they're looking to try that thing they've never had before. And you really, went out of your way to make that happen last year. And now it sounds like this year, even more. And I I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this year, all bourbon sampling is included in the passes, right? Absolutely. So you buy your three day pass and you get unlimited entry and re-entry. You can come in and have a couple hours, have some fun, go do a distillery tour, go shopping, come back all weekend. And that's uh, wild, man. And, and and that's, right. a, that's a smart yeah. move right there. That, well, thank that you. Just, tells the consumer right there that the uh you know the thing that you've wanted to try but maybe you couldn't find it maybe it was out of your price point all of these things that kept you from tasting it now you can taste it along well, with everything else it, it, absolutely and you know the, the thing that's cool um like last year you mentioned the the, the big guys and the, and the craft guys. And, and I used to run a couple of craft beer festivals. And what I would see there, we'd have 50 to 60 craft breweries from around that region where in, in Gettysburg, in this case. So there's a lot of really good breweries out in the East coast, Baltimore and up all over Pennsylvania, but they would come in, guests would come in and kind of do that visual check down. Like, okay, there's goose Island, you know, the same Adams is there. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. And then they'd go deep and try to find that brand or that, that brewery they'd never heard of, or maybe right. they heard of, but they haven't had the opportunity to try it. And so we use that same philosophy last year on the, on the bourbon festival. And again, this year is 
all the big guys are going to be there. You know it. You'll find them. You'll be there all weekend. You'll be able to sample. But I think most people last year we saw were doing the, the right turn inside the gate and going down into the craft distillery row, as we call it, and uh, and playing down there a little bit. So, it, but it's such a small venue. There's absolutely not a bad spot for a distillery, and and absolutely very walkable, and and you can check all the boxes during the course of the weekend for sure. Which is awesome. And, and I do a lot of these festivals, and I'll, I'll tell you, it, it really. Uh, everybody's mindset has sort of turned the corner a little bit. Uh, I was doing one and, you know, I'm a talker. I'm not a distiller, but everything that people were wanting to talk about, it was what they hadn't had before. And tell me where this guy's from and tell me where that guy's from. And the the thirst for not only the, the liquid, but to know more about what goes into the glass it's kind of a cool time for a festival because you're able to educate as well as imbibe you know right well and up until 2019 you couldn't have whiskey at the bourbon festival as, as counterintuitive as that seems that was the case the laws changed that allowed the distilleries to do this so last year we saw the education was being done engagement wise, you know, right one-on-one right, -on -one with that distillery. You're, you know, I've got a photo of Denny Potter, the master distiller at Maker's Mark stand. They're talking to a couple about the whiskey, you know, and that's something you're not going to get anywhere else in the world. I, I mean, the bourbon capital of the world, we're, we're called that for a reason. We've got just within a couple miles of the festival site, we've got 11 distilleries, but then you throw that net and we're only Kentucky. So there's a lot of good distilleries outside of Kentucky, perhaps, but the only ones you're going to find are Kentucky distilleries and uh which is freaking so cool there's the education you know the, the classes the things you can go and listen to the the experts talk about it on stage and and even this year is gonna be such a cool if it plays out the way i see it in my head it's gonna be such a fun and kitschy thing and i'll get back on that in a moment but you, you to be able to go through the, the whiskey makers booth by booth by booth and they're all making themselves available for us you know there's there's a lot of other events in town and in, in, in the area of course, it's, it's hard to not have a, a weekend with some kind of a whiskey event, but we are the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. We absolutely proved last year that we were going to put the right consumers and enthusiasts in front of the distilleries. And now, I mean, we've had a couple of distilleries that, in the last day or two that have had to say no and put them on the, you know, the waiting list for next year. And I don't say that in a arrogant way i just say that in the reality of we're 57 days away from the festival i got to put you know pencils down on yeah, you know, this year and be able to execute it because the old festival was more of a community festival it was free it had bouncy houses and the budweiser beer garden it had a car show and a golf tournament and a balloon glow and all of those things that are nice they're wonderful but they're not about whiskey and what we realized right. was the consumer got very sophisticated the distilleries certainly got very sophisticated over the years and the, and the bourbon festival is just not in sync with what, we, where we needed to be. So I, I'm kind of the, when they brought me in, I'm kind of, I was in Kentucky. I was, I was working at Churchill Downs, but they did a national search and I thought I can do that. And so I'm kind of, I'm kind of the fast forward button on the remote for the bourbon festival to kind of get us in sync with, with what everybody's expecting. And it's been fun doing it because you will not find a friendlier, more collaborative industry in the world I mean, absolutely they compete for every little quarter inch of retail shelf space but at the end of the day they're whiskey makers that like to sit around and drink each other's whiskey and tell stories and you know and that 
and I have the opportunity. I'm kind of the orchestra conductor that gets to pull that all together. So I'm very blessed to have this. This and, and right now, looking back on my career, this is a very cool, cool stopping point for me. Well, and that was going to be my next question. How did you get there? Like, how did you become the uh, the the Randy Bourbon, Bourbon Randy of of the festival? Like, where did you where did you begin? I will absolutely give you the short version, not the Steve Martin jerk version. <laughs> I, um, I was born and raised on a family dairy farm. So the, 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 where I am now in the career is not what I thought I was going to do growing up. But um, I, w- in college, I interned for the local newspaper and then I ended up getting a, a job offer. You know, I went to work in the marketing department at the newspaper. Well, the newspapers at the time were always big sponsors of the local festivals. So they didn't know, the publisher wanted to know, hey, are we make, make sure we're getting our money's worth. So they put me on the marketing committee. The next year I ended up chairing the festival and that was 1989, I think it was. And uh, I spent the next 12 years volunteering, still working like in the tourism convention visitors bureau world. So I worked with all of the festivals and events in, in, in that area, but I kind of picked out my sweet spot at the time was music festival. So I ran a bit, I ran a big weekend music festival in uh, Racine, Wisconsin. Um, I did a, a couple of big fest, street festivals in downtown Milwaukee, and then the dairy farming piece became relevant again. I was tapped by the governor to to run the Wisconsin State Fair. Oh, cool! So at thirty seven years old, I was the youngest person to ever run the the state fair, and it was a top ten state fair in the country. And in an urban center, so it was in Milwaukee. So we had to both be music and relevant to the the urban community, and right. a, a very, but also be very protective of the livestock and, you know, the 4-H and the FFA and all the, the youth things that really differentiates a fair from festivals, that participation. And what and, what uh, year would that have been? Oh gosh, that would have been 2004 through 2009 or 10. So uh, right there at that sweet spot where you're seeing the evolve, like, like you're seeing the festival evolve from pre-social media into social yes. media how do you, uh, I, I get what you're saying. You had to uh, honor the tradition while embracing the change of the modern consumer. And that was right then when everybody was jumping over from brick and mortar to e So you had like a whole different consumer on your hands. Oh man. And, and I'm thinking back and absolutely. And the tradition, it was 145 years old at the time. Right. And, and people knew that I was like this city, the, the people that knew me in that area knew me as kind of the downtown, the big music, you know, the big festival guy. They didn't know about the farm background. So they were nervous. Like, well, they were. And, and people were like, you're not going to change anything, are you? And then I'd give my answer. Then they're like, hey, what's new this year? So right, that was right. the question that I had to learn how to field. But it absolutely was about how do you protect the tradition? Because it's still to this day, sadly, county fairs are drying up every year. We're getting one more generation away from, you know, farmers. My people that were my dad's age, even if they weren't on a farm, they spent summers at the grandparents' farm. And there was a nostalgic connection. And right. now we're just we're just another generation removed where, you know, the chocolate milk comes from a brown cow. I mean, from, you know, from the yeah. store, yep. the brown jug. So <laughs> there was there was education about there was also protecting the tradition. But there was also about you had to be relevant. And, and, and right in the middle, I think 2007 was the first year that I got a Facebook account. Yeah, you know, I got on I got on eBay a couple of years before that, so I was starting to be on the internet. But then the you know the the big the recession hit. Right, right. The two thousand eight came. 
2008 and the word staycation came up and we had a comp i remember having a, i had 28 like department heads that you know agriculture and marketing and you know sponsorship and all those and i pulled them all together and i said guys you have to realize that this year at least this year we are going to be people's disney Right. You know, people, right. people aren't, they can't afford this. They can't afford travel. They can't afford a cruise. They're not going to Hawaii. The Wisconsin State Fair is absolutely going to be the family, the family vacation that year. And we took it very seriously. And, 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 it, you know, it paid dividends. You know, it was, it was affordable. It was a $10 ticket, you know, and back in the days you could, you could bring two cans of beans and get in for free, you know, the, the food pantry kind of a thing. And right. so people could get in the event for free get a corn dog, you know, and do all the little fun things, ride the rides. And, and, uh, so it was a really important event. And, and I saw that also the importance of that event in the people's eyes, you know, and, um, but I mean, so fast forward, you know, the boring parts, I, I ended up in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, uh, running a couple of festivals. I started the beer festival and learned a lot there. Uh, Gettysburg is just an amazing place. Beautiful, it's, beautiful. it's a life-changing place. I mean, I lived there for three years lived right on the edge of like the real national park battlefield. But I would tell everybody the entire town is a battlefield, the state farm insurance, the pizza hut, I mean, all those, I mean, the whole battle went right through town. And, um, but I would find myself taking the long way home through the battlefield every chance I got. And just, I'm a history buff anyway. So to be able to sit out there in the battlefield at 10 o'clock at night after they've technically closed to the public and just take it all in is pretty, pretty humbling experience. But, uh, Oh, that's uh, awesome. And, and it's crazy when you think of how many, I, I love how you said Pizza Hut, people are sitting there doing their daily life things, not understanding that they're right where, uh, down south particularly, like uh, I, I'll go to Savannah or you'll go to Charleston and like people don't understand that like this is, there was a lot of things that happened towards the end of like the Civil War that was happening right where your Starbucks is. Yeah, you're sitting there drinking your ice coffee latte mocha and and you know 200 people died in the in the footprint of where that in the dirt there was blood yeah. in that Fifty-eight thousand casualties in three days in gettysburg is just mind-numbing when you think about that and uh it puts a lot of things in perspective it does and you you talked about the tradition and heritage of the state fair well in in gettysburg i used to say there, there is a contemporary Gettysburg, a cool music scene, a cool f- food scene, but it's always set against the backdrop of that three days of history. And, right. and I always try to be respectful of that without letting that necessarily limit like, oh, no, we can't do that. Well, we can do some really cool things to showcase this modern community with a lot of history to it. And so, I mean, all those things roll into where I am now. You know, I, I took a stop for a couple of years at, at uh, Churchill Downs. I was the director of operations for the Kentucky Derby. So when, when were you there? I would have been there 2015 through 19. Okay. Okay. So everything, if you've been to Churchill, or any of the people that are, you know, playing along here, if you've been to Churchill outside of Derby week, all the permanent buildings, that's the facilities department, everything right. that you the temporary, the infield suites and all this tents and the sponsored things and all of that, that was all, that was all me. And, uh, uh, it was, it was really interesting. Again, the heritage 147 years derby just passed this year. Uh, so it seems like everything I'm doing, has got this heritage tradition, history background, just like bourbon. I was going to say there's a juxtaposition there of taking care of tradition while advancing into the modern era 
And that's just completely bourbon right now. Absolutely. You, you know, you can't I, forget, I but you got to move. Yeah. I mean, I immerse myself. I jump in the history of Gettysburg. I jumped in and researched the state fair when I was at Churchill, you know, John Asher, for anybody that knows, you know, the, the Churchill Downs history, John Asher was like absolutely the historian, the highest profile guy. And unfortunately he passed here a couple of years ago, but I would sit in his office after hours and just pick his brain and talk about and look at books and pictures. And, and, uh, you know, I would be in awe every time I would pull in the, the gates and walk into that, into that, or go down on the track or down in the paddock where the horses, you know, I'm like, I'm walking through where Secretariat went through right before, you know, on his way to history. And um, I'm, I don't, I don't get impressed with celebrity very often, but I, man, if these walls could talk, that always puts me in awe. So, and it is absolutely the, you know, the bourbon and I will be totally transparent. I mean, obviously I, I'd had bourbon at the time, you know, go, uh, you can't be in Kentucky and not have it, but right. Brown Foreman was our big sponsor, Derby Woodford Reserve. Yep. yep. And so, I mean, I cracked a couple bottles and had the collector bottles every year. But um, in my house, I didn't have any. I didn't have one bottle of bourbon in our house. And uh, what? I, I, I swear, I mean, honestly, in my office at Churchill, I had all the whiskey, but uh, um, I didn't have anything in the house. So when I jumped into this, um, I didn't see that as. A liability. I just saw it as, hey, it, it's an event. It's the same checklist. I, right, I used to right. tell, if you want to put a, the world's largest salt and pepper shaker festival on, I can run it. You know, I don't know anything about salt and pepper shakers, but I'll learn and I'll put on a hell of a show for you. And it, it's also so funny. Uh, this is going to go out as audio, but anyone listening to this, <laughs> for him to have not had any whiskey in his house, um, <laughs> however many years ago that was, I see a lot of whiskey in your house yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dozens of bottles now. And uh, again, for the, for the benefit of the people that can't, you can't see that, you know, last year, I never knew what a single barrel was. I, I heard someone talk about a barrel pick. So, I mean, I'm back to that. I'm just being honest. And I started asking around about a barrel pick and I knew Bill Samuels and Rob Samuels with Maker's Mark were big fans of the Bourbon Festival and a bigger fan of what the Bourbon Festival should and could be right and they've been very public uh numerous times about kicking bardstown in the ass and saying if you're going to call yourselves the bourbon capital of the world well then by god you better act like it and <laughs> i spent i spent about 15 minutes with bill talking about my vision for this newly restructured festival and i got a call the next day from thomas bolton with makers mark and he says i don't know what you said to the old man yesterday but you got him all wound up and he wants to donate a barrel for you all to sell charity Beautiful. barrel so the very first barrel pick that i was ever on was was taking advantage of his kind and generous offer uh to do these bottles and it turned out last year we had 10 different distilleries that offered single barrels up for us purchased not donated um but we partner with Justin's House Suburban here in Kentucky. And so Love we had 10, 10 last year, zero before that. 29 years, zero barrel picks. <laughs> last year, 10. This year, we did 22. Woo. Two Rise, uh, we partnered with Peerless and, uh, oh. Knob Creek and Beam, Knob Creek Rye, and everything else was bourbons that we've been kind of clicking along. You know, the, the awesome part of my job is the going out and being a part of the barrel selection group. And That's so much fun, isn't it? Oh my God. It is absolutely. I mean, I've done two in one day. I've done back to back days. You know, you, you kind of, it kind of saps your, you know, your motivation for the rest of the day when you do two in one day, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. The first time I definitely needed to Uber home. The second time I did a little bit more spitting and I only really drank the stuff that we kind of narrowed it down on, but 
I, I'll never forget. I went to Wilderness Trail, and if anybody's ever been to Macaulay out at Wilderness Trail for a barrel pick, it was a Saturday morning at eleven o'clock or maybe ten o'clock even. And I think we did ten different Glen, ten or twelve Glen Cairns of glass, uh, you know, whiskey. And it was early enough to me. I thought, boy, it'd be rude to walk away from the table and leave anything in these glasses. So <laughs> I, uh, that was a long day because that was one of those aforementioned days where I had to do a, a second barrel pick uh, later in the afternoon. But uh, that's live a beautiful and learn. thing, though. It is. There are worse things to fill your hours with. But so uh, this year we'll have twenty. They'll be available at Justin's, you know, yeah. right around late August over Memorial Labor Day. And then because of the fact that, and this is a huge thing for us, the distilleries can do individual bottle sales this right, year right so we we sold the single barrels last year at the festival this year we'll we'll be out there friday saturday and sunday they're purposely holding back inventory so they can try to stretch it out to make it for three days so anybody coming can not only buy our single barrels that we selected but the distilleries will all have their their product available so it'll be more like a, a wine festival where you can come in and sample and buy a bottle or buy up to nine bottles per person per day so if you really are into it you can buy a case and uh we're going to provide lockers so people can come in and you know buy a couple bottles put them in a locker so they don't have to leave necessarily or walk around with them and then they can collect their bottles at the end of the day and and uh be on their way but uh that's the game changer i mean last year we did the 21 plus and you know the the ticketing, you know, we needed you know, part of that goes back to COVID. We needed to control how many people were going to be on the on the venue. Right. And uh, so but, you know, this year going in, being able to it's 125 for three days, un- unlimited sampling. And I say that very carefully because we all obviously are concerned about the responsibility piece. But um, 150 different whiskeys, give or take, and have that ability to sample and then also ask the person that's pouring it about it. Because that's, that's I, the key right there. The craft beer world, as much as I love it, there's a craft beer festival in Louisville that we go to, and there was an IPA that I really liked. So I went up and said, man, that's good. Tell me about it. And the guy said, I don't know, man, I'm just a volunteer. I'm just pouring beer. And so I'm always very careful with the bourbon festival that we don't have that response to someone. So, you know, be trained up. If you're going to bring in third party bartenders and things to help staffing, make sure they know what what they're talking about. That's right. uh, And that's key because- the people do want to connect. Uh, if you've got somebody that's just slinging drinks, then you're going to have uh, uh, your lines going to be smaller than the person who's got. If, if, if Brent is pouring drinks, then he can talk to what he's making, you know? Absolutely. And, and that was another question I had. Like you've mentioned, first off, a, a peerless barrel pick. That's that's worth the price of admission right there. Uh, Caleb is not going to let anyone down that tastes that single barrel, that that barrel pick for the not single barrel, that barrel pick for that week. Um, it was you, amazing. We just who, did it last week. You know, oh, that's awesome. It, he, he's such a good dude, too. Like and, he's and like we, uh, named it. we named it unanimous decision or something because it literally and everybody from we had one, one gal that had never been on a barrel pick before liked whiskey, but never went through the experience to a uh, Steve Coombs who's been on probably 50 of them. Right. And then I'm right. in the, you know, I'm in the middle and I know what I like. I just don't know how to always verbalize it. You know, I, I can't talk so much about what I'm tasting and this and that, but I'm like, I like that one a lot. <laughs> and uh, 
So, but it, it, it literally, and then John Wadle, who kind of led our yeah, process, yeah, yeah. one of my favorite dudes out there, just absolutely rock star. He, he put a, a star with the paint marker on the back of the sample bottle. And he's like, this is the rock star. And even the, the peerless guys even said that that's, that was their pick. So the first time I've ever been on a barrel pick where we didn't have to blind, we didn't have to go through and do anything trickery to narrow it down. We didn't kick one or two out and go for another two. It was like, that's it. That's what we want in a bottle. And, uh, well, and then we turned around and did a rye right after that. So oh. that was, that was a double header <laughs> and, th- and their rye is, is amazing. Their rye is the, is the, absolutely the thing that's got me into rye is their peerless rye. I like a lot of other rye's Michters and Knob Creek and Ooh. Elijah Craig has a good rye out there. Oh yeah. Uh, Wilderness trail has a good rye, but, uh, the peerless was absolutely the first rye that really, I kind of like, Oh, that's not what I was thinking it was going to be, you know? So I think Peerless might be what one of the first amazing rise I had as well. Uh, they were one of the first people we had on the show. And and that guy, he he's not he, he doesn't strike you as a distiller. He almost strikes you as a chef. You know what I mean? Like his attention to detail. He reminds you of that guy that you would find in a fine restaurant in New York. Uh, where just the craftsmanship that he puts in to the the liquid that he's producing is yeah. it's pretty amazing and it really shines uh, through in the product. Well, and that's an important piece that you just brought up, Jesse, is is the connection to the culinary side of things, the influence that whiskey can have cooking with it or enjoying it paired with. And now, again, full disclosure, I was not a big let's have whiskey with, with dinner or with appetizers. And I've learned Chris Morris with uh, Woodford spent the day with me and went oh. through the flavor wheel and almonds and the honey and the dark chocolate and the cherries and craisins and all the different things and talking about what do I taste now? And that was life-changing. And that was when I was still at Churchill. Um, Woodford Reserve took, took over as the official sponsor of the Derby. Right. And so that was part of that transition was the immersion that I got to be a part of with four or five of us. And that's why I was asking when you were there, uh, I had the good fortune of they brought me in for the 2021 Derby and I got to hang out with Chris at the Kentucky Derby and, and like it. Oh my goodness. There's, it's just like, you feel like the luckiest person in the world when you're drinking whiskey with the freaking man and you're at the Kentucky Derby on top of it. it did it's you, just did you like make a, it to the Brown Foreman suite right there on the finish line? Oh yeah. I, I had the only, um, they hooked me up. The only thing I couldn't do was bother Tom Brady. That was the only uh, prerequisite I was given was you can do whatever. I bugged the shit out of the governor of Kentucky. I talked yeah. his ear off for like an hour, but, but Tom Brady, I left him alone. That's that's funny. Yeah. I never, I was never into celebrity. I'm a Packers fan, you know, uh, you know, uh, Rogers is always there. I never, never talked to them. I mean, the one that I wanted to meet a couple of years ago was Kate Upton and, uh, I, I missed her by about three minutes. And, that would uh, that would be a good one. That would be yeah. Uh, that's, that was the only celebrity I was willing to cross <laughs> the sidewalk to, to go and see. But uh, so I, I took I, you know, a couple I, of years away. The celebrities they don't really uh, do anything for me. The um I, I I've been a comic for so long. If you want me to get like uh, uh, starstruck, I, I you got to show me like Dave Attell. Like Dave Attell, I'll right. stare at my feet. And I won't. Uh, hello, sir. Hello. Uh, but awesome. you show me. I don't know what what what's Tom Cruise going to do? Like, I just look down at him and wave and then I move on, you know? 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I've got a new, a new found, I guess, appreciation of the celebrity that the master distillers really are. And yes. every one of yes. them, as I've talked to them, the th- they all wanted to become master distillers or, you know, when they got far enough down the line, they're like, oh, that'd be, you know, and they got the job. The first thing that they said that surprised them is that they needed to learn how to sign their name on glass with a gold marker or silver <laughs> marker because, or paint pen, you know, they weren't, they weren't expecting the celebrity and, right. and, uh, you know, a lot of them are engineers and, you know, that kind of thing coming up through and that, you know, you can work at, you know, like, like, uh, Connor O'Driscoll, you know, his career as an engineer, he's, he's not getting any attention. He's just a payroll guy and, you know, a number on, on a payroll sheet, but now I mean, he walks around with his own preferred marker, you know, to sign bottles. And he's um, also got a again, cool story though. Like he brings a little bit of rock and roll to the role. Like he, uh, yeah. just came over here and was literally bought a motorcycle and was just going cross country to figure out what the hell he wanted to do with his life. I mean, it, it's yeah. a lot of these guys summarize the whiskey experience, not only with their journey, but with like how they've gotten there, you know? Yep. Well, and, and, and they're all friendliest guys out there. Seriously. I mean, you don't realize I try to tell people what I do and what I actually provide for ticketed customers to come in guests is I'm giving you the, the backstage pass. I mean, you're, right, right. you're, you're hanging out with the rock stars of, of, of whiskey, you know, and like Danny Kahn, I mean, from 1792, number one, he's a genius. Number two, he can nerd out as much as you need, but <laughs> I have a, I have appreciation for the guy because he came from Sierra Nevada. Right. Oh yeah. He kind you of he intermingles with your previous life. Right. So, I mean, I, I've been a fan of his beer, you know, before he came over, but, you know, I'm, I'm walking along and here he is and nobody's like talking to him. Here's, you know, this, this genius guy and he just looks like a lost kid. So I'm like walking <laughs> around the festival, showing him around and talking to him. And, um, but just the acts, I mean, everyone has got a different little story that makes them cool. I mean, Brent Elliott has got his thing, Denny, Denny Potter and Jane Bowie from makers, their neighbors, for, for one, they're and they're best friends, they're co-workers, and they both are, you know, at the at, at the decision making level of what goes into a bottle from a oh, barrel. That's cool. and, you know, and Jane does the innovation stuff. So the FAE one and O2, you know, those things are all coming out of hers. But th- we went on a barrel pick with them and we were the first barrel pick in 14 months coming out of pandemic. Oh. And and those two not only did they deliver an amazing experience, but they bickered and fought like an and old married couple. And, oh my God. It was, it was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, the whiskey was better. I will say the whiskey was better, but right, right behind it, neck and neck was just watching those two interact and have fun. I mean, it's, it had been a long time since they'd been able to just to kind of cut loose. They knew us, they felt comfortable. We weren't, right. you know, but you know, Rob Samuels took us to lunch and we, Rob's we got the, the absolute whole, best. It was awesome. And, Denny was giving us the little tour and he was playing tour guide. So we had our like group of four people sent and he kept looking over my shoulder out into the, off in the distance and finds like, I'm sorry. I'm like, what the, he goes, is that, is that bill out there? And bill was like walking across the wheat field <laughs> coming and he pops out onto the sidewalk and just walks by like nothing happened. But he's like, oh, I, I mean, you just can't tell where you're going to run into bill Samuels, but just That's his awesome. expression it's like, oh my God, is that the old man out there? I mean, is he literally walking through this wheat field? That's amazing. It's, it's fun. It's been a fun journey. I mean, every single thing that I've done 
as has connected to this. Again, we talked about my appreciation for the heritage and tradition, but you know, we're doing beer festivals and seeing what consumers want, and, and right down to the date and time that is best to put tickets on sale. You know, you don't want to be in someone's Monday morning. You know, right, Tuesday right. at eleven o'clock is. I mean, all those little things that I've picked up over the years. Um, it just stuck and, and they're always relevant. I mean, there's my experiences at Churchill Downs, even though it was more of the behind the scenes operational things, but the layouts and, you know, I said that this bourbon festival, as someone approaches, it's going to look like they're showing up at Churchill Downs on Derby Day. You know, gone are the easy up tents with the sandbags on the corner and some are blue roofs and some are red and some are white. And, you know, some of them are crooked and the wind blows them over. And so if you need a tent and you're at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, I provide the tent at our expense and we, we create that environment. So as you approach the curb appeal, it should let you know it sets the tone for what you're going to experience when you get on the inside. I, I would not have had that in my head had it not been for my stint at, you know, doing the Derby, but people expect an experience you can't get anywhere else. And, and that includes the visual pieces as well as the actual, the execution, how long does it take to get in the gate? What are you doing when you're there? Uh, you know, what can you do when you're not there? What else is going on in town? So, I mean, we talked to the distilleries, you know, last year for people that were there, we were 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., which proved to be very long days for everybody. <laughs> this year, we, we pared it down to noon to six. A lot of whiskey. Well, and it wasn't um, it wasn't included last year. So you could actually, in effect, be at the festival and shop and get food and things without necessarily drinking your way through. Right. You had to buy extra sampling tickets. But now with it all included, noon to six Friday, noon to six Saturday, then noon to four on Sunday. But that is done primarily to get people in, give them that festival experience, but then breathe them back out into the community, get them out on the distillery tours. In the evenings, These all of these distilleries have spent millions on their guest experience, the tour centers, gift shops, the dining experience in some yep. cases. Yep. And it doesn't do any good for me to partner with them to get them, get these customers in and then try to monopolize all their time. I want to give them that experience and then get them out and get them, you know, moving around and into the community. You know, and, that's right. Absolutely. So we are, and I always consider us a, a really major economic driver. In addition to the tourism piece, a thousand rooms, they're, they're sold out and people are out into the neighboring communities and Airbnbs and things. But I, I like to think that our festival weekend, Friday and Saturday, especially for the merchants, it's like Black Friday anywhere else. I mean, this right. is their this is their biggest weekend. I take that very seriously. I do want them to be successful. You know, nothing nothing keeps a community happier than when they're profiting. That's you know? right. That's right. And years ago, and I actually got beat up a little bit for this. Years ago, the community, all the little merchants, the pharmacies, and you know, the insurance agencies, and the banks, and the car dealers, that's who sponsored this event, and it made it a real quaint town festival but to grow where we're growing and the direction we needed to go we're fully funded by the distilleries and the people in the industry so right. the engineering firms the architects the builders that build the rick houses and the, these distillery expansions that is who is sponsoring us the, the cooperage the distributors uh i mean that so i'm not taking any money from the community. I'm not refusing it, but I'm also not out there expecting them to open up their checkbooks to sponsor this event. I want them to 
make sure their, their shops are stocked up and staffed well and cleaned and red carpet out and, and welcome our guests and let the cash registers ring. And, and that's, it's kind of our gift back to the community. And it wasn't seen that way. It seemed as the, the new guy coming into town and, and taking, taking away, away their festival. Uh, and, you know, we got a little heat on that, but I think once we executed the event and got people in and everyone saw it, whether they will admit it publicly, or not, I think they had a really good experience. And if you're a bourbon enthusiast, you got tickets, you're coming in. If you're not, then then the festival isn't for you. I mean, it's not, <laughs> I'm not excluding anyone, but it can't be, I can't let everybody in. It has to be, something has to be the, the final decision making. And if you're going to, if you're willing to spend $125 on a festival experience, chances are you're at least moderately interested in, in whiskey and learning more and being a, a consumer and, and an enthusiast. So well, and it's a hard thing. If you do not put a price tag to it, people will not take it seriously. Uh, I Comedy is very parallel to that. A free show versus even a show that charges $5, you're going to get a completely different crowd. The free crowd treats it like you owe them something when they've done nothing. And a, a crowd that pays, they will respect what you're doing because they actually have stakes in the game. Uh, so well, I completely get that value. It's yeah, a perceived yeah. value. I, I tested that Jesse, when I was in the tourism world, I ran a convention and visitors bureau, you know, those roadside where you stop to get your maps and all that stuff. And we tested that we had two map uh, options at the front desk. One was free, always was free. And the other one had a $4.95 price tag on it, but free. And we couldn't keep the $4.95 <laughs> sent one stock because the consumer is like, well, shit, that's a better value. I'm going to, I'm going to grab the expensive one. The yeah. free one probably has less information in it. So you're absolutely right. And, and we're not trying to gouge. We really oh, aren't. No. I mean, it, it's, and we're not trying to exploit the fact that there's people that are willing to spend a lot of money on whiskey. We want them to spend money on the whiskey, not just on, on us. And so, I mean, we've had a, you know, a few people that have you know mumbled a little bit, but when they, when you do the math and you say, it's $42 a, a day. day. That's exactly what I was getting ready to say. It was 80 bucks for four hours to go to a brew festival. It's $42 a day with unlimited coming and going and, and having that access to the, these icons. It, those, the people that get it, get it. And the people that don't get it, there's no amount of talking or marketing or social media that's going to change their mind. We just need to make sure we give the people who get it that experience. So. But the beauty of that is you're going to bring in the people that are supposed to be there, which will, in fact, make the festival more successful. Everybody vibing together on the whiskey will create like a cool atmosphere. Everyone will be it'll, it'll be like Comic Con for whiskey folks and you'll all just be there and you'll be happy versus feeling weird about drinking in front of the dude that's upset for some reason because he just wandered in off the street, you know? Yeah. Well, in last year on Sunday night, it was pouring down rain. I don't know. I don't know if you paid attention last year, but the day before we opened, it literally rained six inches of rain in two and a half hours. We had a current of water running right through the middle of the festival grounds. <laughs> and then then it was sunny ish all day, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, which is the live and then Sunday, half hour before we closed, it torrential downpour. So we set up in the mud, tore down in the mud, but I finally got away on Sunday night. I had to go get something to eat, walk down to the little brew pub, scout and scholar down the road uh, from the festival grounds. And there was a guy on the phone. I just happened over here and he was talking to some guys back home. And I found out later he's from Seattle. 
And, and he's like, dude, you missed out. God, you, I mean, aha, you, you know, you missed out on this. This was so cool. And, and so after he hung up, I said, Hey, sorry, I wasn't really eavesdropping, but they're like, Hey, you're the dude with the bourbon festival. <laughs> and he said, just so you know, our group of four is automatically turned into a group of eight for next year. Perfect. The, the guys that missed out and stayed home are, are committed to coming. And then true, true to their word, they emailed me and said, told you we got eight of eight coming. Proof's in the pudding right there. I just did a ticket sales report this morning and 25% of the people that bought tickets already are Kentucky. 75% of the ticket holders are from around the country, Japan, you know, some Canada, some UK, oh, but wow. we have Alaska, oh, wow. we've got Hawaii and, and the weird, I mean, all the states that touch Kentucky, you know, Ohio, Indiana, Missouri over here, Tennessee, you know, I mean, they all are very strong in sales, but then you get into Texas, Florida, Georgia, California, um, Illinois is, is, is strong, obviously the Chicago area, Wisconsin is strong, but we have all 50 states um, represented and, and maybe it's only 20 tickets from Connecticut or whatever, but the fact that we can track that and we have that. And again, I go back to the YouTube channel and some of our new social media that we're able to do as far as audience building. I mean, we're out there reaching out and trying to connect with people that are bourbon enthusiasts and, and uh, obviously the tourism folks are very happy with that. Uh, How could that they percentage. not? I feel, I feel like we should, we, we should have a drink. Yeah, we should. What you want, what you want to drink? Well, we've been talking about peerless. Yes. But I mean, I know we're off, we're off camera a little bit here. I mean, no, and, uh, and the people at home are not going to be able to enjoy this, but I couldn't believe how many people drink along with us. This is the sample bottle from the one we picked. Oh, that's awesome. Last week. It's our, it's our, it's our peerless. And it, it is amazing. They're all good. And, you know, I, people always ask me, Hey, what's your favorite whiskey or favorite bourbon and i really do answer them you know kentucky kentucky bourbon and and there are so many good products out there you know my buddy uh brian galfo just launched a new his new brand it's it's called uh brother's leaf making the connection to you know cigars and people enjoy cigars and bourbon together right that's the broad broadleaf broadleaf whiskey is is what he sampled me so there's a lot of good stuff and I am in such a cool industry. I'm so happy. <laughs> I mean, don't you feel lucky? Like every day that you get to like, like uh, Brent from four roses is who introduced me to drinking at nine o'clock in the morning. And it's, it's, it's not a problem. It's literally, there's a science behind it. Like your, your, your flavor, your palate's better earlier in the day. It hasn't been compromised by anything. And, and That's right. you get to like, Oh, why are you drunk at noon? Cause I was hanging out with freaking Brent from four roses. You know what I mean? Like you get drinking, to fanboy out a little bit. All 10 recipes when he, when Brent gets engaged, you know, he brings it out. And, you know, I learned early on, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know? So I first picked, you know, I'm like, it's winter. I'm, I'm doing my very first barrel pick was a double header. It was a Blanton's and a Buffalo Trace. And there I didn't go. know it's cold. So, so I put, you know, Burt's Bees chapstick oh, no. on. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know any better. And then Steve Coons like, go wash that shit off your face. I'm like, all right, best I could. <laughs> sorry, sorry about the language, folks. No, no shit. It's fine. Cheers, Randy. Cheers to you. And also for my fellows that are brew or beer and whiskey lovers, prost bring out my german there you go there you go uh my wife's family's german so we spend some time in the black forest every now and then and uh oh, i'm so jealous it is amazing and her 
great uncle. He doesn't speak English. I don't speak German, but the, you know, you, you, we came together over schnapps, which isn't what people picture in, a, in the States. It's, it's, it's not the, schnapps. yeah, it's not the super flavored sugar shit that you get at the store. It's like authentic German schnapps, you know, and yep. Prost is that that's. So do you order three schnapps or order them or order them this way? If oh, you've yeah. seen Inglorious Inglorious yep. Bastards, you know how to yep. order them. <laughs> uh, well, he, yeah. uh, um, it, it, my, my family history with the, with her side is when I met her grandfather for the first time, me and him took down a bottle. Just he's a, he, he was a great man, and we just took we we got along immediately, and we took down a bottle like the first day we met. We just like hung out all day and and drank and enjoyed each other's company, and it was fantastic. So that's a little bit of family lore at this point. So when we got to Germany, they just wrote on a sheet of paper, "He thinks he can drink." So. so- you know, here comes German guy, gigantic bottle of schnapps. And me and him sat there till four o'clock in the morning, not speaking a word of each other's language, but still having a damn good time with one another. And kind of nodding knowingly like life is oh, good. Yeah. We knew where we were. So we knew what, is where the, we were. what is the proof on, on the uh, re- authentic schnapps? It's not like the 50 proof, like peak schnapps, 48 no, proof. No, kind no, of no. Stuff, right? It's higher. It's high proof stuff, right? It, it, it was it was pretty high octane. It was. um but it was also delicious. It was like blackberry currant, but it wasn't it wasn't flavored like like it, you didn't get blackberry unless you, you got like a hint of it on the nose, but it didn't taste like right. blackberry. It was kind of interesting the like, way it was just grain alcohol, not like, not like blackberry, not like blackberry brandy where it's like pancake syrup. No, 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 no. It, it was what I a, started with in Wisconsin. Yeah, oh, that of was course. The, everything Which, was brandies up there. Uh, same with North Carolina. A lot of the people that are making it uh, at home, not at home, but you know what I mean? Some of your smaller distillers, uh, North Carolina has a history of brandy production. So you tap into that a little bit. And, you know, every region they produce what they're uh, when the people colonized the area brought with them from the homeland. And uh, there's a lot of brandy production pre-prohibition, a lot of whiskey production in North Carolina in general, just from we had a railroad for the area. And that was kind of big. It doesn't sound big now, but it goes back to our history conversation back in 1890. A railroad that connected one side of the state to the rest of the country, kind of a big deal. So before Prohibition, we created, uh, distilled quite a bit of good uh, spirits over here. That's cool. And I, my family farm, my family came from Germany in 1870 and Mm. came up through New Orleans, up the Mississippi, and then came off uh, off the Mississippi and and the, the railroad had bought up wide paths of property. And then they finally, when they, where they built their tracks, which are still there today, then they sold off the other property, you know, surplus property. So that's where my family farm is that we have the Northern boundary of our farm is, is the railroad track that, that goes through. And so once again, one more thing to learn about and dive into. And that's awesome. Know, my dad and I would sit and watch the, you know, down in the, the switch yards and stuff like that. So, um, Anyway, but I mean, wild though. It, it just the, it the sheer history behind it all is I don't know. I'm a history buff as well, so uh, I can geek out on that with you as long as you have time. Uh, yeah. And, and you just people just need to slow down, get off your screens you yes. know, and, and get out and learn 
I mean, I literally, when I was in Gettysburg, I would, it would be a day like today, 95 degrees and hotter than hell. And you know how rocks and bricks hold heat, but you know, 10 o'clock at night, they would close the national park would close down when I'd be out there I'd ride my Harley around and I'd pull up and, you know, little round top, which if you know anything about Gettysburg was the 20th main. And, you know, if you watch the movie, it's, you know, Jeff Daniels was, you know, that whole thing, Chamberlain, right. but I'm sitting out there on top of this vantage point. I'm looking out over the place called devil's den, the Valley of death, the wheat field, the peach orchard, all these things that you, and the, you know, just you're sitting there and the sun's going down and the, there's more stars in the sky than I ever remembered from being a kid. And, and again, you're just sitting there quiet, eerily quiet. And I'm like, this is a, this is the place I want to be sitting right now at this point in, in the earth, you know, where you're supposed you, you to know. be. Yeah. And I mean, just the awe inspiring piece of it. And I can find that anywhere. I've this last year, after two years away from Churchill, I went back and did some work with under Oaks and Derby day, the Friday and Saturday weekend. And I was up in one of the two famous twin spires. Not many people get up there. I actually photograph, I'm a photographer by, you know, part-time trade back in the day. I used to shoot right. rock concerts and stuff, but um, I shot the Derby from the, the one twin spire. So, I mean, I've got pictures of the horses coming up and of course that was the 80 to one, 81 to one, whatever, you know, I, so I got pictures of this historic race going across the finish line out of the other side. And, and I thought my little folding chair and this, this stupid twin spire, you know, it's all dirty and <laughs> dead mice and bird feathers everywhere and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, this is, this is pretty damn cool. So uh, I've been very fortunate. I, Those are the moments back in the day when I was doing a lot of photography. I mean, I, back in the eighties and nineties, I shot, so many concerts. I worked for Fender guitar and shot a lot of really good guitarists and, you know, I, I actually was a sideline photographer for the newspaper. So I was shooting like Packers bears games and I'm in the locker oh. room after the game. And I'm thinking, I remember driving home, I was probably 24 years old. And I said, man, if I die today, what a life I've already led. And then you look at the, the things that I've been fortunate enough to, to be involved in. It's very humbling. You know, I, people, people sometimes mistake my enthusiasm and, and confidence for being arrogant. And I absolutely am not. I just, I love what I do. I get up out of bed every morning. And, you know, I think about my dad, the dairy farmer, you know, seven days a week, 365, no vacations, mm -hmm. no weekends mm -hmm. off, you know, 6am, 6pm, the cows don't wait that whole thing. And I thought, you know what, a bad day producing the Kentucky Bourbon Festival is better than most good days on a dairy farm, you know, that kind of thing. And I try to keep myself very centered. It's, it's hard some days when, when you're rubbing elbows with some of these people, but everybody listening absolutely has the same opportunity to come to this festival and hang out with the same people that, that I get to see and, and help coordinate being there. So, And they're really all going to be there. I mean, there's it's literally the who's who of the whiskey world and they're all going to be pouring you drinks. It, I mean, $40 yeah. at $42 a day. That, that is absolutely ridiculous. When you think about the, everything that's going to be encompassed in that three day. Right. And, and I, I'm not shy. I mean, it's public record. We're a, we're a 501 C three charity. So, I mean, all of our budgets and things are available online, but you know, People, you know, last year, locals were complaining, we should just start our own festival. And, 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 and I turned over my budget. You know, this, this event costs over $800,000 to produce. 
Wow. Tents, tents and fencing and all the expenses, the insurances and all the things that go into it, the marketing, the branding and the, you know, it, it's not a cheap endeavor. Now, when you think about the Wisconsin State Fair it was a $20 million, 11 day festival, 800,000 for a three day event, two and a half days sounds minor. And it is, but it's still something that no one else is stepping up with that kind of money to, right, <laughs> to right. pull off. And we've got investors. These distilleries are multi-year commitments. Right, right. And I told them a year ago, I can't go year to year. I can't get all this money and produce the event. And then the next day start at zero and have to, I'll I'll be a full-time fundraiser. I won't have time to go out and worry about the quality of the event. And every single one of them, to the extent that possible, there's a few international you know, company corporates that won't allow them to jump into multi-year contracts and things, but everyone said yes. No one has dropped out. There's not one distillery that was with us last year that has dropped this year. And we picked up 16 new distilleries this year, including Brown Foreman. So we have Old Forester and Woodford. And I, I'm not afraid to tell you that I think this is something that they would tell you. The festival stopped being what they needed it to be as a marketing event years ago. And the competition for their attention you know, the shiny, you know, the butterfly in the room, right? We were, we were not doing what we needed to do and others were. So we, we lost. And there were other distilleries that were on the verge of leaving us because we just weren't listening to them. And so this festival is, is a, I guess, validation that we listened, that we are producing what they said, you know, wild turkeys in Buffalo traces in, you know, the, the Brown Foreman brands are back. Uh, Angel's Envy, Wes Henderson famously, you know, interrupted me during one of our early Zoom calls with all the distilleries and kind of looked like the Brady Bunch, only about 40 on right. a screen. And I was presenting at the time what my vision was for this new festival concept. And I got about 10 minutes into it. And Wes said, hey, Randy, I'm sorry, we haven't met. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But if if you do even 25% of the things that you just said you were going to do, you can count Angel's Envy as back. And, and true to his word, he was in on the virtual event in 2020. He was there last year. He's this here this year. We did a barrel pick with him, one of the very first, you know, Angel's Envy barrel selections that we've yeah. done. Um, so that's playing out over and over again. So the industry is telling us we're doing the right thing. The enthusiasts that are getting excited and coming to this festival are telling us we're doing the right thing. Now it's on me, us as a small team to make sure that we're delivering what we say we're going to do. And that's, that's why, you know, before we went up, you know, officially recording, I'm like, man, it's day 57 countdown and, <laughs> and, and I'm in seven day a week mode already, you know, right. I'm, I'm going to Florida for a week family vacation next week, but I'm already budgeting, you know, the mornings are going to be, I'm taking my computer with me, you know, and, the, and my extra monitor, my large monitor, I'm taking packing in the car for the drive down. I mean, I need to, I can't afford to be out of commission, you know? It, it's so funny, Randy. I think you're and I, uh, our days are very similar. I'm taking the family on vacation next week as well. I've already got uh, shows planned for the Friday, Saturday of both weekends of the trip. And I'm on the phone with whiskey every morning. So it's, it's, it's weird. It's a 24 hour grind in it. It is. It's, it's, it's damn near dairy farming, except <laughs> they don't have to go stand, you know, knee deep in cow poop to do it. Well, but it's that same thing behind the, your, your family's dairy farm. The passion to do it is what keeps you going, you know? Yeah. And, 
you know, as much as I do love people and I love the events and, and once a year, twice a year, I get a chance to see people's, you know, smiles. And I used to say that at the state fair, I stood behind one of the stages. And of course in Wisconsin, there's 50 different breweries and all that stuff on the grounds at the state fair. And I stood behind these two guys jamming out to this band. I don't even remember who the band was. I think it was a yes tribute band, but they were like hanging out. And I kid you not, the one guy I recognized was Willie G. Davidson from Harley Davidson. And the kid next to him was a college kid at the Milwaukee School of Engineering who probably didn't know how he's going to pay his rent the next week. But they were standing there together with a beer, enjoying this music. And that's the same thing we're doing here with with whiskey. You know, it's you, you may not remember together. that person. You may not identify with the person you're standing next to on any level, except for what's in your glass. And, you know, it's, it's the, it's, it's the social aspect of, of the whole. And it was the same with the beer, you know, the craft beer. There were people that would only see each other once a year at my brew festival. And it's the same thing here. People on social media are buzzing like, Hey, I met this cool guy. And now we're, you know, we're going to hang out and, you know, it's like a big reunion every year. And then we start bringing in some new friends and, uh, but I'm very, aware of the social piece it's got to be fun it's got to be fun for me to produce it's got to be fun for people to participate in but at the end of the day it's a very serious business you know we talked about the economic impact but man if you can't have fun in this industry and you can't have fun doing a festival then there's a lot of other things you know that, that you, you can should be doing, be doing. yeah i feel blessed every single day to be able to get out of bed and know what i'm going to be doing even though i'm stressed and i might dread the day and i do need <laughs> i need time about a month ago, my buddy and I, from when I, we were teenagers, went up into the boundary waters of Canada, two guys in a fishing boat in a little cabin on this humongous, big 17,000 acre lake. Um, so I need that. I need to get away from people in order to be able to tolerate people the other like 50 weeks of the year or whatever. But uh, no, I'm um, right there with you. Uh, my stuff. son has taken to fishing. So I, I, I get the uh, the serenity of just kind of being out, like you just said, middle of a large body of water, just him and I fishing, nobody else around us. It lets you uh, unplug for a little bit and recharge the battery so that you can be ready for this uh, gigantic thing you're about to be a part of uh, come September. Uh, it, it's, it's, woof, you better get that battery charged because it's, it's, it's on its way. <laughs> Well, I mean, and you get to a point though, or at least I do, it's in my blood and you know, the adrenaline, the ramp up, even though it's, it's, it's kind of like, Oh, here we go again, time to make the donuts kind of a mentality, but you get up past that little hump and then you're going and then it's game on, then it's adrenaline. And then there's always the inevitable, like the week after the, the actual depression, I, I get yeah. into a funk, you know, it's like, I put everything, <laughs> my heart, blood, sweat, tears, soul, everything into producing this event. And of course, during the pandemic, I had two years of that stress and constantly changing. So last year, I had a really tough time, you know, re-engaging. I lost some time in that October, November that I sh knew I should have been doing things, but I just couldn't engage. And then finally, you know, it clicks in. But I'm hoping now that we're back into that annual cycle. I mean, I'll get that little funk. I'll get the little depression and um, all that work and it's done. I've got to start all over again. But um, I've been, I've been doing it now, I think 32 years. So I, I, I get used to it as part of me. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's going to be a damn good time. You have literally all of the people that people like to drink at the festival and it is the Kentucky bourbon festival, September 16th 
to the 18th tickets available. Now are you guys also have um, some premium tickets going out on yeah. sale soon? Yeah. Thank you. I was supposed to talk about that like an hour ago. So thanks for reminding me. <laughs> no, that's we go the, off these, the uh, beauty of this show. No yeah, but that's yeah, what so, I have found. My favorite part of this show has been we talk about what we're supposed to and we talk about what we want to. It's a, it's yeah. a nice hybrid of uh, us having a good time and still educating folks to what the goodness is. Yeah, you're right. So the, the, the main festival tickets, the admission tickets went on sale back in May, and that includes all of the distillery access and the, and the sampling like we talked about. And there's also like free slash included in the price. There's a main stage with a whole bunch of different programming. Uh, we're doing a show called the Bourbon 30 Show. So every 30 minutes, we're going to do a talk show. And it's absolutely my inspiration is the Seinfeld episode where Kramer finds the Merv Griffin set in the dumpster and right, puts it right. in his apartment. So <laughs> that is that when you see it, that is the inspiration. I'm building and creating this set that looks like the Merv Griffin set set up. So people that are there will get oh, the whole it. studio audience feel, but we're, we're shooting it video for the YouTube channel. So <laughs> we'll have the studio lights and sound and post-production. So when you watch it on YouTube, hopefully it'll look like, you know, it'll look like you're actually in the watching a, a talk show. But I mean, the, the interview desk with the old microphone and the really cool kitschy mic yeah. retro. So those are all included in the, in the price. But now there's a premium upgrade. I think there's 12 or 14 premium experiences. We actually get to go in and blend whiskeys. You get to you know sample the cooking with whiskey. You get to like roll up your sleeves and you get a cookbook that you take home with you. Weta Michaels, who's the excellent chef, will be doing that. Newman Miller, who used to be the executive chef with Maker's Mark, is going to be doing one. Ooh. So those are all, and they're limited. There's 25 people in a class. Some of them are cocktail mixology, like how, how to make a better drink, how to be a cool you know host when you're like having people over. And then the cool thing Thursday night the the night before we open, we have a, uh, an event called Bourbon in the Air. And it absolutely, my first day on the job, I opened my car door and I smelled seven, it was Barton. You know, the wind was in the right direction. The whole town smelled like Barton. Um, so Bourbon in the Air is the Thursday night, like a kickoff reception to kind of set the tone. But Friday, we've got two events between noon and six. We've got uh, Bardstown Bourbon Company is doing an hour and a half, kind of a distillery showcase featuring their brands and, the, and culinary, you know, hors d'oeuvres and catered. Then we clear the tent out and we come back that night with a, a James Beam, James B. Beam Distilling, technically, that is doing something. And then Saturday, Old Forester. So, you know, we're going to have uh, Chris Morris coming in and doing the 1870, 1897, 1910, 1920, along with culinary. He's going to tell the story about how that all came to be. Rabbit Hole, Cave Zemanian will be there, the whiskey maker, featuring their four main uh, brands and, and expressions. And then also a couple of surprise things, some really limited edition things that we'll be rolling out. And then if that's not enough, Sunday morning, you come back and you want to do a brunch in the early afternoon, Mictors is doing bourbon, Benedictine, and bacon. Yes. So all of the... All of these are limited to two to 300 people. They're, you know, it's catered. It's going to be, you know, each of the distilleries is working with a chef to, to really select the menu and how the food is going to be brought out. So all of that is going on and those tickets all go on sale on August 1st. The, the catch is the asterisk fine print. You have to already have had at least an admission ticket of some sort, either your basic three day or a VIP, or if you go on to buy someone listening says, man, I want to go there. And, and that old forester, you're gonna to have to buy an admission ticket. It's a, it's an add on to, to being able to get into the venue. So, um, but, but well no, we're, we're pretty, 
we're pretty excited. So if you're not already following us, Instagram you know, at KY Bourbon Festival, the, our Facebook page, our website is kybourbonfestival.com. We try really hard to keep that all current. And as we start, you know, releasing what the different premium things are going to be, all of our distilleries are up there. I maybe maybe one or two that haven't been updated yet. Um, all of our corporate sponsors and a lot of really good non-distilling corporate sponsors that help make this thing happen. And so we're we're pretty proud of everybody that we've assembled, the program we've put together. There's two full-time, me and one other person. Then we've got a lot of you know contract partners that help us with a lot of the creative and the public relations. But we're a small but mighty team and we're very focused on making sure the best bourbon festival happens. Well, you've got a vision for what you want it to be, and that is a vision heightened above other festivals. So uh, you said something a little bit ago that really, I think, kind of summarizes how good this thing's going to be. The consistency you branded, you wanted to brand this thing. You wanted it to be something that stood out from the rest of them down to the tents. That's just absolutely you you completely get it like like putting the tents and making them all consistent that creates a cohesive unit for what people are walking into and and the the event is the easy part you know you're going to have bourbon you know you're going to have people it's going to be those little details that create the environment that people will remember and you're on top of it man it sounds like you've got every one of those little details down to a freaking science and that's what it takes that's what it takes thank to make you. this thing huge thank you i mean the devil in the details that's you know right. and someone someone said isn't putting all those tents that all kind of match you know, all, all over the place. Isn't that going to distract people? I said, no, it's absolutely, it's going to do the opposite. It's going to allow people to focus on what's inside there. Cause they're not going to be so distracted by the noise. That's it's right. going to be a nice, you, you know, but again, th- this isn't my first rodeo. I mean, I've learned the hard way a lot. Oh, you've trained for this. I've got, I've got all my limbs, but I don't know. I've, <laughs> I've gone through some minefields over the years and dealt with, you know, bomb threats. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was a young man at one point and this, this industry does, does age you a little bit, but no, but thank you. I mean, it, you know, as you approach it's fenced and it's a temporary fence, it's chain link fence with sandbags. Okay. The, the, but beyond that, we wrap it. We spent thousands of dollars with printed mesh scrim, they call it. And and the company we use is the company. If you watch the winter Olympics and the downhill skiing, when you have all like the Sarajevo and all the different, you know, the, the, the branding that you see in the camera going down, it's the same company that's doing all of our, uh, our wrap as you approach. We don't want it to look like a job site. You know, we want it to be a billboard and let people know you're about ready to experience something that you're not going to get anywhere else. And so it really, but it, it's, you know, at the end of the day, my vision doesn't mean anything if we don't have people to execute it. And the big one is the laws that allow me to do it. When I came in, I knew that the laws had been changed that would allow the distilleries and, and take advantage of our nonprofit status. I get a special permit. That's like right. a liquor license that allowed last year, allowed the distilleries to go directly to the consumer. They don't have to go through the distributor and through the, you know, the three tier. Uh, so I knew that was a game changer, but I, I all the vision and experience in the world wouldn't have meant anything if the, if Kentucky hadn't changed the laws, you know, completely. and completely. this year with the bottle sales, house bill 500 and, and Again, it's cool for us to talk about it, but if the legislature, 
you know, the Kentucky Distillers Association, the governor's office, if they hadn't realized that there are some really antiquated and limiting things that were hurting, you know, or at least limiting the ability for distilleries to really go and for us to do what we need to do. Again, all the vision and excitement and passion doesn't mean anything if I don't have the laws in it. So I always tip my hat to Governor Bashir and, and the Kentucky Distillers Association that worked really hard over the last couple of years to try to get the industry to be competitive with other states and wineries and the beer and the other spirits. So um, I'm just going to take, I'm exploiting it now though. I'm just going to take advantage <laughs> of it and let, you know, but that's uh, great. Uh, that, within that, that, the letter of the law, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to push sure. the envelope and do everything we can, but we just had a two hour round table yesterday, a zoom with the attorney. We shared the attorney with the distillers association, Steve Amato. Many of you know him. He's like the preeminent, you know, spirits, attorney in the country you know he's the one that wrote all the legislation so i put him on a zoom call and had all the distilleries able to do a q a with the guy and you know there it doesn't matter if you've been around for a month or, or 150 years as a distiller this is new for everybody so um well, and you're you're untangling uh almost 100 years of legislature legislature christmas lights correct Correct. And we hope that, and I even said this yesterday, we want all these distilleries. I mean, some of them pay a pretty good fee to be on the lawn and be a sponsor and get their big spaces. You know, I need that, you know, but I hope that every one of them ends up cash positive. I hope they sell enough bottles during the festival that they walk away saying, Oh my God, that was a no brainer. You know, not only is it a quality event, not only do we put their, their talent, their resources, their executives on stage and put a spotlight on them, but now they can pay for, you know, pay for their participation just on bottle sales off of three days. I mean, I hope that's the case. Well, that goes back to uh, charging an admittance fee. Uh, The folks that are coming, if you hear, if you get any heat from this year, it's going to be that they can only take away nine bottles a day. That's going to (laughs) be, the people that you're inviting to this thing, you're, you're inviting ravenous animals to your bourbon festival and they're going to be just, oh, is that a peerless barrel pick? Oh, OK. How many can I have? Like, that's who's coming. Like, like uh, it's the, nine. It's nine per distillery per person. Oh, so, oh, my God. It's OK, not nine, it's not nine per person, nine bottles, nine liters you know, for the whole or the seven oh. fifties. It, it's oh nine goodness. per distillery, <laughs> nine per distillery people. Oh my bring God! So, so bring your car. Bring something with a trunk so you can just bring a bring a freaking U-Haul so you can just put pallets upon pallets of the good stuff you're gonna walk away with from this festival and take it home with you. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and of course we're we're encouraging the distilleries. It's their show, you know. So you sure. you feature, you sample what you want to, but just know that part of it is being able to trot something out different that people can't regularly get but we you know we want people to be able to buy directly because the big concern a year ago was of course someone's going to bring out some really cool rare bottle but i can't go buy it anywhere so there's that delicate balance about hey we've got two bottles while supplies last we can pour 100 samples before the bottles are gone come and check it out at two o'clock in the afternoon go to so-and-so you know chicken cock is going to be there and greg snyder is going to be you know autographing bottles and you know pouring samples so it's got to be that fine balance between getting things that you can't get and being able to buy it right there not just teasing someone with a sample and then like sorry you can't buy it anywhere um so but we're all learning on this and but the cool thing is the areas that we're learning on are absolutely the, the areas that we need to be learning how to True. how to sample how to how to sell instead of 
how many t-shirts can a distillery sell? You know, we're actually selling bottles. Exactly. Exactly. The thing that they're coming for, you're able to give them. Uh, I'll be interested to talk to you afterwards just to see where the pain points were, because that is an interesting endeavor to add to such a gigantic feat. Uh, Absolutely. You, but sounds like you're doing it the freaking right way and people are going to be bringing goodness and they're going to be able to take it home with them. It sounds like a I mean, last year was a lot of fun. This year sounds bigger than last year. I, I mean, good Lord, man. I, it sounds like a slam dunk. Well, last year was kind of like the opening night of a Broadway show. The right. people sitting in the audience stood up and clapped and thought it was a great experience. If you peeled back all the <laughs> curtains and looked backstage, I mean, there was a lot of operational nightmarish type of things that we you know, wanted to fix first. The admissions process, ticketing and admissions and getting people in, you know, those kind of things are typical. And, you know, it's it, I say it's a it was the first year festival with a 30 year history because it last year literally was this is year two of, of of the history of this event. And even though we've got those 29, 30 years behind us. So if everybody just kind of understands that we're going quality over quantity, you know, we're limiting the number of tickets because we don't want people having to stand in line for 20 minutes everywhere. Which is smart. You know, it's a beautiful park venue. We got all these distillers. The last thing we need to do is pack too many people in the Volkswagen bus and, and then have everybody mad. So um, anyway, so we'll see. But I, I would love to talk to you after. And if, you, if you're ever interested in coming over and experiencing it, we got a media row. So we've set up a specific row to second like Super Bowl. We got a spot that you can sit and talk to some of these people that uh, we've been talking about for the last hour or so. Well, that's the game plan. I, I think uh, some of your folks are trying to get me out there. I'm trying to work out the logistics. Uh, I'm back on the road with comedy pretty much every weekend. So I'm trying to ma- line some things up so I can maybe be there during the day on Saturday, hopefully on the way to another area. That That's kind of what I'm working with one of your folks on right now. So we'll see. We'll, uh, I, I would definitely love to be there. It sounds I, I think me and you need to hang out, smoke a cigar and drink some whiskey, too, because uh, we have all of that. the same friends. There's no reason not to. And appreciation of history and all those kind of things that we would we could talk for hours, I'm sure. But that would bore everybody out of their skull. So, oh, we'll go, oh. Off, we'll go offline for that completely. Civil War and Teddy Roosevelt. Let's make it happen. <laughs> That's right. Love it. Well, Randy, uh, you've been more than gracious with your time today. I hope I've not kept you too long. Uh, it sounds like you've got amazing things about to happen in September. Uh, put on the radio voice, September 16th to 18th, 2022. The Kentucky Bourbon Festival is coming. It will be here before you know it. So that's my 1920s radio voice right there. And everybody, go to kybourbonfestival.com. Get yourself some tickets right now. Premium tickets, they go on sale August 1st. The VIP packages are sold out, so you're going to have to go get those premium tickets if you're wanting to do some of the fun stuff that Randy's been talking about on top of the three-day pass, which for 42 dollars a day if you don't do it i'm gonna come to your house and i'm gonna smack you in the face because that is a deal <laughs> you said that not me but i agree with your sentiments so thank you <laughs> Randy, thank you for for your time and everybody listening thank you for allowing me into your headphones or speakers or wherever you might be listening thank you appreciate it cheers cheers i'm gonna go out i've poured a second glass of the peerless rye uh, Caleb, you do produce some delicious liquid. So I will cheers to you, Randy, and I hope to see you in September. Likewise. Cheers. Cheers. 
All right, everybody, there you have it. That is this week's episode. I want to thank Randy from the Kentucky Bourbon Festival for coming on the show, talking to us about all the goodness that will be the 2022 Kentucky Bourbon Festival. I'll tell you, I'm hyped. It is next week, uh, September 15th through the 18th. I'm going. I'm, I'm in Kentucky a lot in September, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to drink some good whiskey, hang out with some good people. Anyone sees me there, feel free to say hello. I'll be the guy with a smile on his face and a whiskey in his hand. It was fun learning more about what it takes. I mean, good Lord, it takes so much to get one of these things off the ground and not only have it be a thing that happens, but have it go well, have it be successful. And you can just tell this guy cares. You can tell he's putting a lot into this festival. And I think it's going to come through when we're all there next week, because it sounds like it's going to be a lot of damn fun. So thanks, Randy, for uh, the great conversation. I look forward to maybe sharing a cigar and a pour with you in the coming weeks. And for everybody listening, you can go to kybourbonfestival.com. That's got all the information, all of the events, anything you need to know. If there are any tickets left, I don't know that there are, but if they are, they'll be on that website. So kybourbonfestival.com. Head on over there and learn a little bit more about everything they got going. And that is it for me this week. It's fun being back. I've missed the show. I've been on a little bit of a tour sabbatical this summer, but we are here. We're back for season five. We've got more great guests coming. So if you would, please go ahead and come on back next week. I believe we're either going to have Bookers or Michters or somebody amazing on. You never know who's going to pop up. We got a little bit of wrestling with whiskey coming this season. We got a lot of fun things planned. So come on back. My name's Jesse Jones. This is the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. Let's raise a glass and kick some ass, and I'll see you guys next week. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.